0: Uh, We talk a lot about faith in uh, our circle some, and tonight I want to talk just a little bit about that and just encourage us. One of the most uh, powerful definitions of faith that I've ever come across is this, is that faith is what you do about what you know. That it is standing on God's promises, yes, but it is taking action based on the knowledge of those promises, right? So we know that God is a good God who wants to heal, therefore we pray, right? We, what we do about what we know, faith is about what we do about what we know. It's knowing who God is and then responding accordingly. So we know God is a good God who hears us, therefore we pray. We know that he's able to heal, deliver, save, restore, therefore we respond by praying for the sick, knowing that God is able to touch them. Uh, faith is not a feeling. Contrary to the way that we tend to work it up, faith is not a feeling, it's not an emotion. Uh, Faith has very little to do with your feelings or emotions. Like you can feel it sometimes and sometimes you do not, but faith is simply trusting in God and acting upon that trust, what you do about what you know. And so I want to talk tonight from a very familiar passage of scripture I preached out of it numerous times, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Mark is one of my favorite gospels. He probably comes in second after John. I'm just uh, going to be going to be uh, honest about that. I love John. Uh, but Mark probably comes in my close second. And so uh, Mark chapter five, I love this account. Mark is pulling one of his famous uh, theologians call it the Mark and Sandwich, where he starts a story and puts another story in the middle and then ends a story, right? He has a habit of doing that. And in this particular chapter, uh, we're going to read about this, Mark chapter 5 and beginning at verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet, and he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so she may be made well and live. And he went with them. And a great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had been discharged of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but she grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and had come up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said to herself, if I just would touch even his garments, I will be made well. Verse 29, and immediately the blood flow dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself, power had gone out from him. He immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd, they're pressing in on you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't fear, only believe. Verse 37. And no one... And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. And when he came and he entered, he said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but she is sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were there with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithia kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, Rise. And immediately the girl got up again and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. I want to just look at these two passages tonight and just encourage us. we got one more passage we're going to look at at the end, but I just want to encourage us uh, in our faith uh, and just remind us of who God is and what God is capable of, and then we can respond to that. Again, it's not emotion. I'm not here to build up your emotions. I'm here to deal in, in, in facts tonight because here's the fact of the matter is this is who Jesus is. This is who God's word reveals God to be is this healer who's in control of every situation. And so based on that fact, I want us to respond to the God who's in this room and wants to move and heal and work in our lives. Notice here we have two individuals in this story. First, we have this lady that no one seems to be able to heal. This lady has suffered from uh, a problem for over uh for 12 years the text tells us and she would have been considered unclean what does that mean that means that she is because of her disease she's not able to participate in religious and social life she's outcast she's on the outside she's not supposed to be in this crowd this would have been really risky for this lady Uh, she's outcast because she's been bleeding for 12 years can you imagine i know many of us maybe you've had problems but 12 years of trying to figure out what's wrong with you and every time you come home, things keep getting worse. I remember when I was in uh, college, my, my last year at Southeastern, I started having like some, some chest discomfort and some chest pain and I'm like 21, 22 years old. So at first I'm like, oh, you know, no big deal. But the longer it went and the more I Googled my symptoms, how many of you know? That's a bad idea. Right? So I'm checking WebMD and I'm Googling my symptoms and they're like, you're probably having a heart attack. You know, like I'm 21 years old, I'm probably not having a heart attack, but nonetheless. So I I work myself up into this frenzy, I go to the doctor, uh, ER, it's like on a Sunday night, and they start, they take my pulse, and it's like racing, obviously, it's racing, right? Because I'm at the ER, and I've worked myself up into this frenzy. So they think immediately I'm having a heart attack, like if you wanna get good service at the ER, a heart problem, they take you straight back, not that you need to know that, but they'll take you straight back, right? They took me straight back, Start looking at me, I stay in the hospital for a couple days, they send me home and tell me they don't know what's wrong with me, right? So I'm like, okay. Cool. They say Your heart's fine, you're good. We don't know what's wrong with you. So this, so I go on this way, like not with the chest pain, but they, it would come and go for several years. And this goes on until after I got married. So probably a good, I don't know, eight nine years before finally I had a doctor with the sense enough to say, let's run this particular test. And sure enough, they ran that test and they discovered what the problem was not heartburn, not heart attack. Right? There's a big difference between the two, right? But, but here's the deal. You can imagine the frustration that I felt and that maybe you felt when you go to the doctor and they're like, you, you don't want anything to be wrong with you, but you want something to be wrong with you so you know what's wrong with you. Is that it? You get you know what I'm saying? Right? Like, like you want to like know that there's a problem and that they can fix it. And so this lady, imagine her frustration as she goes to doctor after doctor and she leaves her family in the morning and it's, it, it's a doctor's appointment again and every time for 12 years she comes home no answers, and the problem just persists worse and worse. Not only that, but she, there's no health insurance, right? So this lady spends all of her money, like this lady is spent and broken, unclean, social outcast, has no hope. No one has been able to help this lady, no one. They've taken all of her money. They've made her, maybe made her promises that she would get better, they've tried. Maybe every drug that they had available to them, every test that they can think to run, they've run it, and this lady doesn't get any better. And so we have this lady that's a social outcast, with this health issue, and there's no one to help her. She's at the end of a rope. But Jesus. Like, she, for whatever reason, decides that she's going to find this Jesus. I don't know if she heard about him, if someone uh, talked to her about this guy who can heal diseases, and she thinks he's at the end of a rope, and she decides... That's my last hope. And she knows that she's unclean and she's not supposed to be out in this crowd, but she chooses to move anyway. And she says to herself, if I can just get close enough, not to, not to, just, not to even touch him, if I can just touch like the hem of his garment, if I can just, if I can just touch that, then I'll be made whole. And she fights her way through the, the crowd and sure enough, as she reaches out to touch Jesus, she's made whole completely. I, I love Mark's use of the word here. That, that it's immediately, the idea here is this, is that her problem is stopped, it's done. Verse 29, her problem stopped, it's completely, it's done, it's finished. That here's a, a person that for 12 years has had a problem, no one has an answer, but she comes in contact with Jesus, and in one moment, one encounter, Jesus is able to bring healing. Man, we serve a powerful, powerful God. We serve a powerful God who can, in an instant, bring healing and resolution to something that doctors have fought for 12 years to figure out and can't figure out. Yet in one moment with Jesus, her problem is stopped completely, done. And I don't know what you might have come in here with tonight, but I know this, that we serve a God who in one moment immediately can cause the problem to cease, the problem to be gone, the issue to be healed, to be made whole. So we have this lady that no one can seemingly heal, and then in this story, we start, the story started with this man, Jairus, who's a synagogue ruler, and he comes to Jesus and he says, my daughter is sick. And he says, okay, I'll go to her. And so he gets ready to go to her, and it's as he's traveling to heal this little girl that he gets sidetracked, right? Like, Jesus, why would you get, like, isn't it important, isn't this little girl important? Why would you stop to deal with this lady? Why couldn't you just let her, like, touch you and be healed, and you could just sort of go on, right? Like, he could have just... He could have just walked by, let her touch him, not said anything to her, kept moving, and may- maybe he'd have gotten there in time. But he ends this story with this lady, and we've got messengers coming from the synagogue ruler's house to say, "Hey, it's no use. Forget it. It's over. She's passed." Because not only we got this lady, who's got 12 years with no hope, and every doctor, there's no answers, now we have this girl who's passed away, she's dead, she's died of whatever it is she has. And death is final, right? For almost everyone, right? The the death is final, like that. Except Jesus, right? Like the rest of us, maybe there's resurrection, but those people are resurrected, and eventually they die again, right? Like it's final. Like there is no, there is not much hope if you've passed away. Like that's it. And so they say, don't bother, don't bother him anymore. She's passed away. Let's go make funeral arrangements. Let's do those things. Forget, forget about that. And Jesus is like. I'm I'm coming and he goes there and again we we find again some similarities here this little girl is 12 interesting little girl is 12 the woman that we just talked about she's been bleeding for 12 years and this child is has has passed and Jesus tells them what does he tell them he says don't fear just believe don't be afraid just trust me and Jesus goes to this little girl and he takes her by the hand and again we have Jesus doing something odd here The woman who touched him is unclean. Dead people, right? You don't touch them because they're unclean. So Jesus is dealing with an unclean woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And Jesus deals with this unclean, dead little girl who's been dead for a few moments. And Jesus is willing to touch the things that no one else is willing to touch. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is willing to touch the things in our lives that no one else is willing to touch, that no one else can touch. Jesus is willing to touch them. And he touches this little girl and he says, little girl, get up. Again, notice the use of Mark's word. He uses all throughout the gospel. He, he's He's the one gospel where it feels like he's a little bit in a hurry. Like Jesus is not in a hurry, but Mark is in a hurry, and Mark wants to. Mark's moving Jesus towards the cross, and so every time you read Mark, you see him saying things like "immediately," like "immediately," "quickly." They move quickly. So he he says, "Immediately, this lady touched the hem of Jesus's garment. Immediately, her bleeding stopped." And then what he says here: "Immediately, as he Jesus speaks the word to the girl, immediately the little girl gets up. Immediately, that Jesus is able to do things immediately." There are scholars who argue, and they say, well, Jesus, uh, Jesus makes a statement, this little girl wasn't really dead, like she was in a coma. And I say, like, oh, okay, like maybe, maybe we give them that, but this is still an incredible miracle no matter how you look at it. Like, she's not, people don't get up from comas like that, right? But I, I believe that this girl was dead. That's what it tells us, that this girl was dead, and I take that at face value. This girl had passed, and Jesus comes in there and breathes resurrection life into this girl. And here's the bottom line. Jesus resurrects what is dead. And if you, if you don't get anything else, here's what I want you to get. I don't, it doesn't matter what you're facing. If Jesus is big enough to heal a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and the doctors have no answers, and if he's big enough to deal with this woman, this little girl who's dead, and bring her back to life, then there's nothing that you're dealing with that is too big for him. Like nothing. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There is no demon. There is no power. There is, like, there is nothing that is too big for Jesus. Like, we, we believe this. this part of being, uh, we've been talking over the last few weeks from Pentecost Sunday about being Pentecostal. We believe in what we would call the fourfold gospel. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our healer, and He is our soon-coming King. And if Jesus saves us, and He heals us, and He baptizes us in the Spirit, and He is coming again, if all of that is true, man, what do we have to worry about? Like, if all of that is true, if Jesus has saved us, and he's empowered us, and he's coming again, then he, then that same Jesus is the same one who can heal us. He's the, he's the same one who can And you say, well, you know, sometimes we pray and nothing happens. Like, I, I get that. And I, I don't have the answers to that. I really don't. I don't know how that works. But what I do know is there are times when we do pray, and when Jesus shows up, and the Holy Spirit breaks in to the moment, and he brings healing, and he restores. And I do know that happens when we pray. And therefore, we pray. I, I do know that happens, and I do, and it's not just for yesterday. It wasn't just happened in the Bible, and then it sort of stopped, right? Like that's a, it's becoming quite popular in some circles again to say, "Oh, those gifts—they were just for—they were just for, they were just for the, the New Testament apostles." Like, come on! Like, there, there's nothing in Scripture that would say that. Nothing. As a matter of fact, when we read Scripture, we get this sense of like, what the Holy Spirit is doing then, the Holy Spirit wants to continue doing now through His church, like. And we got, we've got good argument against that. Like that, the gifts, if nothing else, we can see the evidence of the Spirit of God moving around the world, healing and bringing restoration and bringing the dead. Like he's still working in powerful ways. Just because you don't see it don't mean it's not happening. And I think that's what some people say. Well, I've so never seen it. Like, listen, just because you don't see it don't mean it's not happening. And you need a better argument than that. Like, come on. The Holy Spirit is moving around the world. Why? Because in Acts chapter 2, what what are we told? That that now is the moment. The Holy Spirit's being poured out on all flesh. And when the Holy Spirit's poured out on all flesh, what the Holy Spirit's doing is this, is we've talked about this some before, but he's, he's He's moving us towards the day when all things will be made new. Like, He's moving us forward, right? And part of moving us forward is healing and wholeness. Like, salvation is not just about your soul. Salvation is about all of you and part of all of you being made whole is healing not just physical healing but relationships your relationship with yourself your relationship with others your relationship like part of salvation is bringing that healing into a spirit of god is bringing that healing into the world right? Like You realize when we talk about salvation, well, a lot of times we're just talking about the event where somebody came to an altar, but salvation starts there, but it is an ongoing process where God is working and healing and moving and and changing us and empowering us by His Spirit and healing relationships and healing our bodies, and He's moving us towards the day where ultimately salvation will be made complete, and we will be with Him, and we will have glorified bodies. And that is a, a, for whatever reason, God chooses to use a process to get us to that Points, And so he wants to break into the, 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 our, our and heal our physical bodies. He wants to move and, and bring restoration to our relationships. He wants to move and, and show himself real and powerful, even in these moments. And maybe you might say, as we get ready to wrap up tonight, you might say, yeah, yeah, like, I, I get it, but, but pastor, I'm really struggling with believing. Like, I, I understand what you're saying. But I'm struggling. Like I, 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 if I'm honest, like I just I've been prayed for a, a million times, or I, I've seen it happen a million times. Like it just I, I don't believe it. I'm struggling with it. And to those, I would go to the story that Mark gives to us in Mark chapter two. Mark chapter two. I want to read just one passage, and then we're going to close, and we're going to pray. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, and they brought him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.' Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forget sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had questioned him, uh, this within themselves, he said, why do you question these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I want to point out one thing from this passage. You could take all sorts of things from here. But in verse uh, 5, notice what it says. When Jesus saw their faith it doesn't say when jesus saw his faith it clearly says this when jesus saw their faith what does that mean i i take from that this that that man on that mat maybe he didn't have the strength but maybe he didn't believe no you guys are taking me to see jesus like i i've heard about him but maybe man he's just he's just going out he's a hoax he's a you know, maybe he, maybe he talked about him like this. I don't know. I'm, I know I'm reading into the story a little bit, but maybe he talked about him like this. He's, he's just one of those slick con men, like, you know, pretending to heal people. And his friends are like, no, no, no. Like, we want to take you. We want to, we want to see what happens. Let me take you here. And they get him there and, and they, they, the room's crowded and they could have they just gone home, right? They could have said, eh, we're going to go home. Forget it, it's crowded. But what do they do? They take off the roof, right? Imagine somebody takes it and they lower this guy down. And, and the text tells us, when Jesus saw their faith when he saw their faith, not the man's, when he saw their faith. And maybe the man's faith is included in this. Again, I, I don't know. All I know is that's plural there, when Jesus saw their faith. And what I know is this, is that sometimes you and I don't have, like we don't have the faith to believe for ourselves. But when we don't have the faith to believe for ourselves, I think the Bible is clear that there, that's when we need one another, when we carry each other, when we have faith for one another. I talked to a, a friend of mine some time ago, he was telling me kind of the story of his life, and he said he hit a point where, man, he just struggled to believe. He said, the only thing that got me through is I kept going to church, and I just leaned on the faith of the people that were there. So that's all I could do. I didn't know what, I didn't know what else to do. I just leaned on the faith of the people that were there. And listen, I, I want to tell you, sometimes you may say, well, I don't, I don't have the faith to believe. I don't, I don't really know Listen, you don't have to know. All you have to do is respond to what Jesus is saying here and let the community, let the church gather around and be like, be that faith for you in those moments, to believe for you in that moment. Like, I I really think that there's something to that. And as we're encouraged with one another, like your faith begins to grow and it begins to change and you begin to go, maybe, maybe there is something to this. And Jesus begins to move in and by the spirit, he begins to make you new. And so tonight, here's what I want to remind you, if Jesus is big enough to heal a woman, for 12 years battled with an issue no doctors can touch it he heals her and immediately in an instant if he's big enough to raise a little girl from the dead then he's big enough to help you with your problem and if you're having struggling believing that then that's why we're in this room together to stand together so that our faith touches the heart of God and he responds